0: Joseph part four, and uh, basically what I've just been doing in this series, for those of you who are new here, uh, and I will be, oh, I kind of got disconnected on on my thoughts. So next week, Pastor will be preaching, and then the week after that, I'll pick up on the Joseph series again, because... Uh, we're nowhere near uh, done, and basically what we've been doing in this series is just, the Joseph story starts in Genesis 37, and uh, and except for chapter 38, which, uh, which uh, doesn't have Joseph in it at all, it goes to the end of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, so there's a whole bunch of chapters there, and I've just been working my way through verse by verse. Now, we're not going to get to the to the end of Genesis at the rate I'm going, because it's going to take forever, because today's part four, and we're just now starting on on chapter 39. We'll do the first few verses today of chapter 39, and then, then we'll be done again, but there's just so much there, and I've just enjoyed it, you know, as we've been, as we've been working through it, it's amazing how relevant God's word is still to our lives today, hey? And we look at the life of Joseph, and we find that, okay, yeah, this is a, this is a man who lived, you know, 36, 3700 years ago, and yet his life totally the stuff that he's going through and the different things god put him through and stuff totally intersecting with ours right and so i think we find a lot of encouragement in that and i trust that you will again today and as we continue this series and so why don't you just bow your heads with me and close your eyes and i'm going to start verse one of chapter 39 and and uh, and go for a little while today on faithfulness and small things heavenly father lord jesus you are real I thank you that we can be a part of this church. I thank you that even on a long weekend, Lord, it's beautiful outside, but so many people still want to get together and worship you and hear your word. And Father, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that as we're together, Lord, it's not my preaching that does anything in people's lives, it's your spirit. And I just pray today that as we break the bread of your word, that we're going to get spiritual food. I pray that you would convict us, Father. I pray that you would encourage us. And I just pray that you would expand, I would pray that you would open up our hearts so we can get another sense, a touch of your presence, and that we can bring with us the rest of the week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So chapter 39, verse 1, we did uh, touch on verse 1 here at the end of last week, but we're just going to kind of retrace our steps just a little bit here at the beginning, because it leads us into where where we want to go and where I want to go today. But here we go, Genesis 39, verse 1, famous story, right, the Joseph story. And Joseph now is, is you know, going into Egypt. So Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And again, we touched on this verse a little bit last week. I just want to stop here for just a moment again because it's so important we don't just skim over this. Because if you, if you skim over this, it do, it, the, the rest of what's happening in this chapter won't really impact you, okay? So Joseph gets bought by a man named Pharaoh, or uh, Potiphar, sorry, not Pharaoh. He gets bought, okay? So he's sold as a slave. Now again, this story is so familiar to us. We read this story. We've heard this story a hundred times. We just sort of glaze over it. We don't stop to think he got sold as a slave, okay? That's one of the most degrading experiences you can have at as a human being I mean he's being bought and sold like he's a piece of furniture he he doesn't belong to himself anymore he's been a free man all of his life he's got big dreams for his life right God's given him dreams he's gonna be a great leader for God he's gonna be used greatly by God and now here he is in a slave market and another human being is gonna come and buy him just like he's an animal or, or or whatever right so he's sold as a slave terribly degrading okay not to mention as we talked about at the end of last week huge disappointment okay joseph is is experiencing you know the extremes of disappointment here because disappointment like we talked about last week is simply the gap between what you expected to have happen what you wanted to have happen and then what's actually happening to you right and so joseph remember he's not just being sold as a slave here just right before he gets sold as a slave i mean is it weeks is it days is it months the bible doesn't tell us but certainly the way the story is told it's told as if it happens right after Right before he's sold as a slave, God gives him not one dream, but two dreams. You're going to be a great leader, right? Everybody's going to bow down to you. You're going to do great things for God. He gets this dream for his life. I'm going to do great things for God. I'm going to be a leader. And right after that, he finds himself being sold and, and bought, and he's a slave. Opposite ends of the spectrum, okay? And so this is, this is massive disappointment, Okay? And I talked about that at the end of last week's message, and like I said before, it's amazing how these Bible stories, thousands of years old, they're still still relevant to the human experience today. Because after last week's message, I talked about disappointment. I got so many comments this last week of people saying, oh, I could totally identify with that. Right? Because so many of us, too, we get a dream for our life at some point. We want to help people. We want to do something great for God. We want to make something out of our lives. We, want to, we just want to do something. We don't just want to go through our lives and be a nobody. We want to do something. But for many of us, along the way, we set out. We want to help people. We want to serve God. We want to do great things. And somewhere along the way, things happen, right? We get hurt. Things don't turn out the way we expect. And it's right here. Joseph, great dreams for God. Now he's a slave. And it's right here that there's this danger of disillusionment and bitterness. Isn't that true? See, it's right here. Many of us, uh, you know, if, many of us have a track record. I mean, if, if you want to look at our lives and, you know, you have a dream for something, you want to do something great, you want to you start a business, you want to make some money, you want to do some good things for God, you want to help people, and then things don't turn out how you want. And it's right here often that we'll throw a pity party. Isn't that true? will get bitter. This is where people, they might not quit going to church. Most of them don't quit going to church, but they'll just, for the rest of their lives, they'll keep coming to church, but they don't want to get hurt anymore. They won't take any more risks for God. They don't want to listen for God's voice. They don't want to, they've stopped dreaming of doing great things because they're afraid of getting hurt again. They're afraid of being disappointed again, and that can creep in so easily when that disappointment gap is, is so big. And yet, of course, as we're going to get into in just a moment, we all know, I and mean, again, the Joseph story is a famous story. We, we're all very familiar with it. Joseph doesn't get like that. Okay, we get, you know, massive dream for his life. going to do great things for God. Next thing you know, he's at the far end of the scale, the bottom end where, where none of us here is probably ever going to go. I mean, none of us here is likely ever going to be sold at literally as a human slave. He's right to the other end, and yet we don't find him throwing a pity party. We don't find him getting bitter. We don't find him whining and complaining or grumbling about his life. And so the question I wanna to ask today before we move into this story a bit is, again, because we read this story, we're so familiar with it, we know what Joseph does, but you know the mistake we often make? You know what we Christians tend to do when we read the Bible? We, and we just do it subconsciously. We, we read the Bible, we, we read the story of Joseph, and we just automatically assume we're Joseph. Isn't that true? I mean, we don't consciously do it. We don't read the book and say, I'm Joseph. We don't do it like that. But we read the Joseph story, and it doesn't convict us at all about our own grumbling or complaining because we just naturally identify with the hero of the story. And we just read, and we kind of think of ourselves as being Joseph in that story. But the truth of the matter is, if most of us looked at our track record, if most of us look at our track record of how we deal with disappointment, because everybody here, we've dealt with disappointment at some point. I mean, if you're older than, you know, one years old, okay, you've run into disappointment at some point in your life, to varying levels, some more, some less, I guess this would be more, this would be less. You, we've all run into disappointment, right, at some point, but we read, the, we read the Joseph story, we don't feel any conviction because we subconsciously just sort of identify ourselves as being Joseph. But the fact of the matter is, if we looked at most of us looked at our track record of dealing with disappointment, we would find self-pity, bitterness, disappointment, anger, all those sorts of things, and we don't find that with the Joseph story. We don't find that with Joseph. And so the question I want to, before we even begin to read this thing today, I want to just get us there to that threshold. I want to get us out of our subconscious thinking of ourselves as Joseph. And I want you to now, in an honest way, try to, for a moment, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. What kind of a person are you? Okay, imagine you're the person with a dream to do great things for God. You're the king. You're going to be the one everybody's going to bow down to. And right after that, you find yourself owned by another man you're bought and sold you're at the bottom of the totem pole you are right bare bottoms bare bones Pfft, running out of analogies here these aren't even making sense but it's really low okay how would you react honestly now not with the subconscious i'm joseph thing but what would there be what would you have anger would you have bitterness how would you cope with that would you complain? I bet with a lot of us here today, there'd be a lot of complaining. Bet there'd be a lot of anger. Bet there'd be a lot of bitterness. Bet you there'd be a lot of despair. And yet, we were, as you're going to see in just a few minutes, you won't find any of that with Joseph in his story. Now before I read, uh, and I do want to read those next few verses now, there is just one more thing I want to notice. Because a lot of people, how would they cope with this disappointment? You go from this to this really horrible place. And you're here now, we've, okay, and we all know already because it's a familiar story. And we're going to look at the details in just a moment. We all know he doesn't curl up and get bitter and quit and give up on life and get mad. He doesn't do that. That's where a lot of Christians would be. But there's one other coping mechanism. I, I want to talk about a coping mechanism that I want you to notice. When I'm reading you now this Joseph story and the details, I want you to notice something Joseph doesn't do, okay? Not only does he not quit, not only does he not get bitter, there is A coping mechanism sometimes that people try to use that's different than that one over there. I think a lot of us would just be straight over there. But there is another coping mechanism that sometimes people try to try to use to get through their disappointment, to try to avoid being over there. And I want to just mention this now because I want to make sure that you understand that Joseph doesn't use this coping mechanism. And a coping mechanism I want you to notice when we're reading the story now is I want you to notice that Joseph does not try to escape bitterness and despair and self-pity, he doesn't try to escape that by trying to escape reality with some kind of positive thinking, positive speaking mumbo-jumbo. Okay, and this is really important. I want you to notice this now. This is really important, and the reason I'm bringing this to your attention, and I want you to pay attention to it, is because a lot of people are Christian teachers, they're selling tons of books, they're all over the TV, and they are teaching that when you are in a negative circumstance, the way you deal with it is you gotta have, you gotta visualize something different. You gotta visualize yourself in different circumstances. You gotta visualize things being better, and you gotta be positive thinking, positive speaking, and, and that's sort of their, th- they say, that's faith. That's how you get out of a bad situation. That's how you, instead of turning bitter, you use positive thinking, positive speaking instead of turning bitter, and that's sort of their coping strategy, okay? And of course, I have, I have you know, there's nothing wrong with positive thinking and positive speaking in the sense that, you know, even when we're in dark times, uh, you know, we we can focus on our blessings rather than on, on all the negatives, right? We can be thankful We can say good things rather than bad things. I'm not talking about that. It's not that it's bad to be positive in a dark time. But what I'm talking about is this philosophy that I can change my circumstances. By my speaking, by my thinking, I can attract positive things. I can attract good things into my life with positive thinking and positive speaking. And and it's dressed up as being faith. Let me tell you something. That's not faith. Denying reality is not faith. That is actually ancient occult philosophy. It's been around for hundreds of years, and it's all over the new age now. Uh, I mean, Oprah's been pushing it for years already in, in the secret. And I'm not against you if, you're, if you love Oprah. Um, I do question some things, but n- never mind, anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, there's this whole idea of the secret, you know. I'm going to speak positive things. I'm going to think positive things. I'm going to attract positive things to me. And a lot of teachers now are trying to use that same philosophy and just dress it up with a little bit of Jesus and Christianity, and that's not Christianity. Okay, So when I'm reading you this this story now, I want you to notice that the way Joseph... I mean, Joseph doesn't curl up and get bitter and quit. That he does not do. But the way he does it is he doesn't go over here and deny reality and do some kind of positive you know, thinking exercise every morning. Like, you won't see in this story, you know, jo- how did Joseph deal with the disappointment of being a slave? He didn't get up every morning and try to positive speak himself out of it and be like, you know, every morning do this little exercise or something where, you know, I am not a slave. I am a king in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And, and throw all this stuff out there. That's not what he does. Okay? That wouldn't be healthy because he is a slave. In this story, he is a slave. That's, that's not healthy. That's not how you deal with your stuff. That's not how you keep from being bitter, is by denying reality, I'm not a slave, when you are a slave. You know, I, I remember I had a, a friend, really good guy, oh, he's still a friend of mine, amazing guy, but years ago, and um, I, I had mentioned one day my back was hurting me, and I, and I just offhand said to him, you know, my, I said, oh, my back is, is killing me today, and he just straight, whoa, he said, you're cursing yourself, he said, you're, you're saying negative things about yourself, you're cursing yourself, you, you could kill yourself, you could do something, I'm going. My back just, my back just hurts. And uh, I just wanted to say that. Don't focus on a problem. Don't mention it. Don't say it. Because you're cursing yourself. You've got to speak healing words. you got to speak. And I just thought to myself right away, I just thought, how am I supposed to do James chapter 5 where it says, James 5 says, you can mark it down, look at it later. And at James chapter 5 says, when you're sick or you have a problem, you call together the elders of the church and you confess your sins to them, the negative things you've done, and then you confess to them, and you tell them what your problem is, and they pray for you. How can I get anyone to pray for me if I can't say what's wrong with me? Right? Isn't that true? How about Galatians 6, verse 2? Galatians 6, 2, Paul says, I want you to bear each other's burdens. I want you to carry each other's burdens. How can you carry my burden, and how can I carry your burden if you can't tell me what's wrong with you? If we all got to go around just saying positive words all the time and we can't tell the truth. See, it, it, you, let me just say something, because I know some people, they get caught up in this and they don't, they, they don't know. So they hear something, then they feel guilty, and they don't know what they can say. Let me, let me tell you something. When you tell the truth, you never curse yourself when you're telling the truth. You never curse yourself when you're telling the truth. I mean, I've known, literally, I've known people who, they got cancer, And they wouldn't say the word cancer. They wouldn't acknowledge it. They wouldn't talk about it. You talk, How are you doing? Because you're a friend. You want want to pray for them. You want to be there for them. Oh, don't want to talk about it. I got that thing beat. They won't even say the word cancer. Why won't they say it? They're afraid of cursing themselves. They're trying to positive speak themselves to a different reality. That's not what Jesus teaches us in the Bible. You have cancer? You're scared to death about your cancer? You call some people around you and say, I have cancer and I'm scared. That's how you get prayer. That's how you get, that's what relationships are all about. Not based on false reality and fantasy, they're based on truth. And the first step to wholeness, you want to know the first step to wholeness is be honest with yourself and others. You have a problem, you man up and you just say it. I have a lust problem if you have a lust problem. I'm scared, I'm having mental issues, I'm depressed this. And you say it. You're not cursing yourself when you tell the truth. You're being honest with yourself. You're being honest with others. That's a first step to wholeness. One of the worst things you can do is try to deny reality and pretend you're not a slave when you are. And many of the people who try to cope, they try to get away from bitterness by coping with fantasy and positive thinking and all that sort of stuff. Many of the people who are here end up back over there just down further down the road. The Bible does not teach us to escape our reality, and Joseph doesn't show us that way. Joseph shows us a third way, a better way of dealing with disappointment. One way is a whole schwack of Christians are there, bitter, self-pity, miserable with life, disappointment. They just give up. Other Christians, positive thinking, fantasy world, also not good. Joseph shows us a third way, a better way. And a better way is he doesn't quit, he doesn't get bitter, he doesn't get filled with self-pity, he doesn't escape reality. In his slavery, he remains faithful to God. He doesn't quit on God. He doesn't get bitter. He doesn't deny that he's a slave. He doesn't try to uh, some kind of escaping and fantasy. He, in his suffering remains faithful to God. Here's the amazing thing about when you remain faithful to God in your suffering. Rather than giving up, rather than trying to escape, you remain faithful and obedient in the midst of it. The amazing thing is that when you are like this, and you're going to see this in the Joseph story, is that God can bless you in your suffering. He can bless you in your suffering. And you're going to see that in the Joseph story, is uh, God doesn't rescue him out of his slavery, at least not for many years. And when he does rescue him, he sends him into an Egyptian dungeon, but that comes later, okay? Um, He just sends him to a worse place, but nonetheless, okay? You're going to see Joseph remains faithful to God in the suffering. God doesn't remove him out of the suffering, but he actually blesses him in the suffering. And this is a better third way than curling up and giving up or trying to escape with positive thinking and positive speaking, all right? So let's continue here. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He became a successful man, but he was still a slave. The Lord was with him, and we would think, oh, the Lord was with him, and he wasn't a slave anymore. The Lord was with him, and Potiphar just suddenly got this crazy idea to give Joseph his freedom. That's what happened. Nope. He was a slave, so God made him a successful slave. That's a blessing, right? And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. he was still in the house of Potiphar. He's still a slave. And, and you know, this is, this is really important. And I want to stop you just a moment before we keep going here. Uh, many of us need to think long and hard about this point here this week. We need to think long and hard about this point. Because, and the reason we need to think long and hard about this point, the fact that we are to remain faithful to God in the suffering and that he then blesses us in the suffering. He doesn't just bless Joseph by bringing him out. Now, sometimes God blesses us by bringing us out. That's true. Those are my favorite. <laughs> I mean, let's just all admit right here. Our favorite one is not when he blesses us in the cancer, but when he takes, us, takes the cancer, right? Our, our favorite one is not is when he gives me a new job, not bless me in the miserable job I have. And he does do that. He also does the blessings where he rescues us from a situation. But that's not what he's doing here in the Joseph thing. Here's the problem. Many of us, the only blessing we're looking for is the blessing of being rescued out of the situation. That's the only one we can see. And so we actually miss. Many of us need to go home. Honestly, this week, some of us need to go home. We need to spend some time in prayer. Because you're in the middle of a disaster. You're in a disappointment. It could be work. It could be a business that fell apart. You know, a ministry. It could be a family thing, a marriage, whatever. Whatever could just be you're just disappointed with life. You're, you're getting old. and I, was, I won't even put a number to that. I used to think 30 was old. I've blown past that now myself, okay? But you've just gone to a point in your life and you're like, I'm nowhere. I had all these dreams for my life and I've done nothing. You just could be disappointed. But and you, and you So you look at your life and the only blessing you can see is the big answer to prayer where God rescued you from that disappointing situation, rescued you from that horrible situation, and what you very well could be missing is that in your situation God has already blessed you a whole bunch of times and you've missed it because you've been looking for him to rescue you can you imagine if Joseph would have been all grumbling and saying God hasn't rescued me from Potiphar and yet we find here that God is blessing him in Potiphar's house and usually what I find when you begin to talk with people and probe and they're so upset and God hasn't rescued me from this, he hasn't answered this prayer, and you begin to probe and you begin to find that God's been at work all over the place, but they're looking for the wrong thing. And so God blesses Joseph in his slavery. He doesn't, he doesn't curl up and quit and get bitter. He says, okay, God, you're going to make me a slave? I'm going to be the best slave I can be. And God says, I'm going to bless you in your slavery. So we keep going. Verse 3, his master, Potiphar, saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. How do you like that, eh? The Lord blessed Potiphar, his... I mean, some of you, you have an ogre of a boss and you're complaining about them all the time, okay? Okay? Okay, Joseph, I don't know what kind of a man Potiphar was, but he owned Joseph. So imagine being owned by your boss. Okay, and this is the blessing. God blesses that ogre for your sake. And he blesses his boss. He blesses Potiphar because of Joseph. So he bless the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field, So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, Potiphar had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now that is pretty amazing. I mean, let's remember. Let me just remind you for the hundredth time here. Let's remember the backdrop. Joseph should be a free man. He shouldn't be anybody's slave. He should not belong to Potiphar. He should be back at home working on his dreams. He was the favorite son, the one with the colored coat. He's going to get a big inheritance. He's got the dream to have many people bowing down to him. Now he's a slave. What right does Potiphar have to own him? what right does Potiphar have, right? Can you imagine? I'm betting, especially us in Western culture, I'm betting most of us are going like this, as if I'm going to give Potiphar 100%, right? As if. I don't owe Potiphar nothing. But rather than going like this and getting bitter and disappointed and angry at God and complaining to everyone, what does he do? Potiphar buys him. He says, ha, Potiphar, you've never had a slave as good as me. And he goes and he works for Potiphar So amazingly, that Potiphar doesn't have to worry about anything in the morning. Potiphar gets up, only thing he has to worry about is, uh, what am I going to eat for breakfast? Is it the crepes this morning or is it the omelet? Joseph, help me here. Am I having the strawberry waffle? Am I having the blueberry waffles? That's the only only thing he has to worry about because Joseph is that conscientious and hardworking. Joseph is that conscientious and hardworking for a man who has no right to own him. That's being faithful. He doesn't curl up. So many of us curl up. Something bad happens in our life. Oh, I'm so mad. Life hasn't turned out for me the way I want it. I don't like it. I don't like my boss. Joseph doesn't do any of that. He says, Okay, you made me a slave. Best slave you've ever seen, God. And he goes for it. Potiphar has to worry about nothing. Joseph is that good of a slave. That is a higher third way. That is a way most of us, let's not just Identify ourselves with Joseph and think of ourselves as Joseph. Let's admit that most of us are far 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 short of that But that's where the Holy Spirit wants us to be You know as I was thinking about this passage it reminded me I mean talk about bringing glory to God in your work. I Mean Joseph was bringing glory to the one true God into Potiphar Potiphar wouldn't have known about Yahweh He didn't know about the one true God who made the earth He had his bunch of Egyptian gods and now here comes this Hebrew who knows Yahweh, and he does this kind of work, he was bringing glory to God into Potiphar's house. Is that not true? And it reminded me of uh, a passage. See, we might think, well, good for Joseph, right? That's what we sometimes think, right? I mean, good for Joseph. He was, yeah, way to go, Joseph. The rest of us, we don't live there, okay? And it's true, most of us don't live there. But we sort of wipe it off as if God doesn't care that we don't live there. And what we don't realize is actually the level that Joseph lived at, serving to that level of wholeheartedness for that kind of a boss in that kind of a disappointing situation is actually God's calling to each and every one of us. That's actually base level Christianity. Paul says this. I thought of this verse. Okay, let's jump over to Corinthians for just a second. Let's jump over to the Joseph story. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Right away as I'm reading this Joseph story, I thought, oh, that's what Paul's talking about. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, whatever you do, not just, you know, we Christians, we like this verse. It's kind of a pump-up verse, right? Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And we like to quote that one. But really, subconsciously, what we mean when we quote that verse is, is and, or at least how we put it into practice is, w- Paul saying, whenever you're happy, whenever things are good for you, when your boss is nice to you, when, when, when the money's coming in and everybody's being happy and everything's peachy and healthy, then do everything happily for the glory of God. That's really how we apply this verse. That's not what Paul's saying. He says, Wh- whatever you do, do all, everything in your life, bad and good, when things times are hard, when your boss is miserable, when, when you're not healthy, but do all to the glory of God. Every single thing in your life, do to the glory of God. Now, some of us are stuck in this thing that we think the only time we're giving glory to God is when we're in church, one time a week, raising our hands and worship. Well, that's one thing. I mean, it's wonderful to worship God. We should love Jesus. That's awesome. We should have, you know, we should spend daily time in prayer with the Lord. And, but we think that's the only time. You know what? God wants so much more of your life than just once a week at church and once a day in your devotions. What he wants, he doesn't just want 1% of your life. He wants 99%. He wants everything. That's what Joseph gave him, everything. Joseph didn't just give God once a week in church, I'm going to worship you. Joseph got up every morning and worked his wholehearted butt off for a man who didn't deserve to own him. That's bringing glory to God in everything you do. And by the way, young people, I say young people, really it's for all of us, but I, then I can say harder things and, and not worry about offending older people's uh, whatever. So, but anyway, but it's really for all of us. But I'll just say it to young people. Young people, there's a lesson here too about bringing glory to God. Sometimes we over-spiritualize bringing glory to God. Sometimes we think, you know, the way I bring glory to God is by talking about Jesus at work. That's what we think. Because we're caught up in this thing that I'm only glorifying God when I do spiritual things. When I'm at church, when I'm reading my Bible, or when I'm talking about Jesus at work. So we think that the way we bring glory to God is to go to our workplace and talk about Jesus at work. Let me tell you something. That is not the primary way you bring glory to God at work. Some of you are going, whoa, whoa, whoa! Chris, you're telling us that you don't want us to talk about Jesus at work. That is not what I'm telling you. Okay, don't write that down. You're misquoting me. Okay? Uh, I'm not saying it's not important to talk about Jesus at work. I think we should talk about Jesus at work. I mean, some of you are going, like some of you are, are cowards. You don't want to talk about Jesus at work and you're going, yes, preach it, brother. And that's not what I'm telling you. I'm not telling you not to talk about Jesus at work. What I'm telling you is it's the primary way you bring glory to God at work is not by talking about Jesus. Okay? The primary way you bring glory to God at work is by how you work when you're at work. Because here's the truth of the matter. If you go to work and you just are miserable, let's just stop there for a moment, shall we? If you go to work and you are miserable, and now you tell someone about Jesus, are you bringing Jesus any glory? This is not a trick question, by the way. The answer is no. <laughs> Some of you are furiously scribbling that down. If I'm miserable, I'm not bringing glory to Jesus. Okay, good. Remember that. You're not bringing any glory to Jesus. If you go to work and you are mediocre and you are average and you are just like everyone else, you complain, you just try to pass time, you try to get away with stuff, you're sloppy, you don't do your wholehearted best, Do you know what? Jesus would actually probably rather you not mention his name. I'm serious. I mean, he's probably sitting there with some of you, and he's going, "Please just tell people you're a Muslim." <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> I get emails on that. I love those kind of emails anyway. But that doesn't bring God of any glory. You're sloppy. You're lazy. You're average. You're miserable. I'm going to bring glory to God by talking about Jesus at work. No, 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 It is important to talk about Jesus at work. But that only works. That's not the primary way you bring glory to God at work. The primary way you bring glory to God at work is by what Joseph did. We We don't see. I'm sure Joseph did talk about Yahweh in Potiphar's house. You better believe it. I'm sure he did. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us he was so wholehearted, Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything except what to eat. That brought glory to God, and that's what opens the doors. If you're going to work like that, if you're going to work like that at work, you're going to open up doors. Now when you talk about Jesus, people actually care. If you're going to do like Joseph did, and, and you're just going to work all out, wholehearted, joyful, conscientious, do my best every single day, if you're going to do that kind of work, you're opening, you are bringing glory to Jesus. Now you open your mouth about Jesus, and you're bringing him glory. And he's proud. He's proud to be your God. And of course, I know what some of you are saying right now. You're objecting, right? Because... Chris, you don't understand my situation. My job really stinks. My boss is really terrible. Yada, yada, yada. Again, I just love the Joseph story. Because I have only one thing to say to that. Joseph was a slave. Would you like to trade with Joseph? Would you like your brothers to betray you and sell you off to be owned by someone else? Would that be better than where you're at right now? And you think, well, in case someone thinks, well, yeah, Joseph had a posh slave job. Okay, first of all, he didn't start where he ended up. He started at the bottom. But you know what happened to him after he was a slave? What, they, what happened to him? He went to an Egyptian dungeon. You know what he did when he was in the Egyptian dungeon? He said, God, you're going to put me in a dungeon? I'm going to be the best dungeon prisoner this world has ever seen. And he did the same thing there. He worked so hard in the dungeon. We're going to get there later. I'm getting way ahead of myself. But we're going to get there yet at one of these messages. He worked so hard in that dungeon of being a good prisoner that eventually the jailer gave him the keys and said, you look after the thing. So don't tell me, oh, you don't understand. My boss is miserable. My job stinks. I can't bring glory to God like that. Yes, you can. It's not bringing glory to God at work is not about having the right job. It's about having the right heart. It's not about having the right job. It's about having the right heart. You know what it says in Ephesians 6? Ephesians 6 says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Just as you would obey Christ, some of you actually should plug your ears right now because up to this point you've been sitting at work, but you've been sort of sinning ignorantly. You didn't realize what God called you to be, what kind of a person he called you to be at work, so you've just been sinning ignorantly because you've been miserable and lazy and all those things at work and thinking that's okay because at least you went to church. But after I read you this passage, your guilt actually doubles because now you actually know what you're supposed to do. So I'm just giving some of you a warning. You might want to plug your ears before I finish this passage. Okay? Ephesians 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. You know what Jesus calls you to do? If you were a follower of Jesus. This is not optional. This is not maybe like, ah, here's a suggestion. Jesus says, actually, you're my slave. That's what this, that's what this passage says. If If you are a Christian, you're you're actually a slave like Joseph is. You're just not a slave to Potiphar. You're a slave to Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm your boss, and I'm going to tell you how to work for your human boss. I'm going to tell you how to work for your human boss. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ. Doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly. Did you know it's actually not optional for someone who calls himself a Jesus follower? It's not optional to go to work and not be wholehearted. It's not about having the right job, it's about having the right heart. Serve wholeheartedly. And by the way, you know, in our culture, we have divorced something. We have divorced Jesus is Lord from Jesus is Savior. We love to talk about Jesus is my Savior. I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven because I asked Jesus in my heart and he forgave all my sins. By the way i love that part that's my favorite part it's so good he forgives our sins he loves us takes us to heaven and so we always talk about it in our churches jesus is my savior but did you know something he isn't supposed to just be your savior he's supposed to be your lord and savior which means boss and savior and did you know that you actually can't cut those two things apart so many north american christians today have taken jesus as their savior but they haven't made him their boss here's what jesus says if i'm not your boss i'm also not your savior you can't have one without the other. You can't have Jesus is my Savior unless you also make him Lord of your life. If you don't make him Lord of your life, he says I won't be your Savior. And so this is what our boss says about work. Our boss says when you get up in the morning, no exceptions. Not, I mean, and no, I'm not talking about here you have a bad day or you're sick or whatever. Okay, I'm not talking about those kind of exceptions. What I'm talking about is no exceptions like, well, this kind of job you don't have to be wholehearted. Joseph was wholehearted as a slave and a dungeon prisoner. Jesus says, I'm your boss, and this is what I say about work. When you go to work at your miserable job for your miserable boss, if that's what you have, you will serve them wholeheartedly as if you're serving me, because you are. Because you are actually serving me. And my name's on the line. That's Jesus speaking, not mine. Okay, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether slave or free. Serve wholeheartedly. That is the Christian call at work. Now some of you might be sitting here and you're going, uh, you know, phew, you know, he's getting everybody else today but me, I'm a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Whatever your job is, whether it's paid or not, Joseph says, I'm going to be a great leader. God makes him a slave. Joseph says, okay, I'll be the best slave I can be for God. And then God says, now I want you to be a prisoner. Okay, I'll be the best prisoner I can be for God. We need to have that. That's what faithfulness looks like. God's made you a mom. You're a mom. You're going to be the best mom you can be for God every day. You're going to get up. You're going to be wholehearted. God's made you this. God's made you that. You say, oh, I'm injured. I can't, I can't work, whatever it is. Right, then God still has a role for you. You're still alive. If he wanted you in heaven, you'd be dead. So you're here. So you're not working. Okay, you're still a dad. You're still a husband. You're still a whatever. You're still a neighbor. You're still a church member. Then you take that role that God has given you in your injured state. You just take whatever it is that God's given you, and you be wholehearted to him in that. That's the call on every Jesus follower. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's not optional. Some Christians do this. Some don't. That's what Jesus calls all followers to. Now, I should give you this encouragement. None of us can actually live up to this every day. Not even a question. Uh, you can fake this for like a week maybe. Like some of you will get pumped. Oh, I heard a message out on church. I liked it. We've got to be faithful. We've got to be wholehearted at work. And you're going to work it up and you're going to be faithful for one week. If you just do it on your own effort, you'll, you, at max, you'll be successful for a week. And a little over a week from now, your boss will do something again or your coworker, and you'll be right down again. Okay, here's the thing. You can't do it, neither could Joseph. I'm I'm not showing this to you because I think you can work it up on your own. I'm showing this to you so you don't be apathetic about not being there. See, a lot of Christians just say, it's okay to not be wholehearted. They read the Joseph story and go, that's a cool story. And they don't get cut to the heart that, whoa, I'm not anywhere near to what Joseph was, and that's what I'm called to be. So I'm preaching this to you so you're not apathetic. But what happens is you don't just work this up. What you do is you get on your knees and you confess to God and you say, wow! I am so far from this, Lord. Holy Spirit, pray that you would help me. And out of your relationship with Jesus Christ, His Spirit infuses you, and you become this kind of a person. But you do not rest until you are this kind of a person. Jesus isn't calling you to be less than Joseph. He's calling you to just follow Him, and Joseph, thats what jo- following Jesus. It's like what Joseph did. It's wholehearted in everything God gives you to do. This is what it means to be faithful. Let me give you a definition of what it means to be faithful. Whatever station in life God has you at, at this point in your life, whatever stage, all of us here right now are alive. So far, so good. You're alive, that means you're at a stage in life, whatever it is. Some are retired, some are young. Some are unemployed, some are employed. Whatever it is, you're at a stage in life. You're injured, you're not injured. You're healthy, you're not healthy. Whatever stage, this is what faithfulness is. Whatever stage, whatever job, whatever place you're in, at this point in your life, you need to work at those things that God has placed you in wholeheartedly as if you were serving God directly. People talk about faithfulness like, I'm, I'm going to finish this message with the passage, well done, good and faithful servant. And Christians, we love to talk about that passage. Very few of us actually know what it means to be a faithful servant of God. That's what it means. It doesn't just mean you go to church all the time and you have your devotions. Yeah, that's an important part of connecting with Jesus so that you can do what's really important, which is go out into the world and be whole. Can you imagine? Let me just ask you something. Can you imagine if a whole church of people got filled with the Holy Spirit? They went out into their workplaces and they worked like Joseph did. Can you imagine if dozens of bosses all over here are going, what in the world is with these crazy Christians? They are so wholehearted at work, it's crazy. Do you know what would happen? Tons of people would get saved, and the churches would explode. I'd say this is like the best evangelism strategy there is. You know where the biggest evangelistic field is right now? Our workplaces. It's where we're with. It's where we are most of the time. It's where we know the most people. You work like a Joseph. You don't think Potiphar was open to knowing about God when you have a servant like Joseph working for you? You better believe it. And if you will walk in relationship with God and let his Holy Spirit, and you rely on him, because yes, there are mornings you wake up and you don't want to be wholehearted, but you realize that wholeheartedness is about a, obedience. It's about making a choice. It's not, it's not like, oh, I don't have to be because I don't feel like it. It's about choosing, Jesus, help me. And as you walk with him, he makes you wholehearted like that. That's what it means to be faithful, okay? Well, anyway, I want to show you now a really important motivation, okay? I've, I've showed you what faithfulness looks like. It's wholeheartedness in the things and in the place that God has given you, okay? But now let me show you a motivation. Let me give you a motivation as to why this kind of, and aside from at the end of this message, we're going to get to Jesus telling you, well done, good and faithful servant. That's a good motivation. But let me show you another reason. Let me show you a paradigm. There's a paradigm you have to get in your brain that's really important to you, the way you look at work, the way you look at suffering in your life, the way you look at disappointments. There is a, if, if, you, if you don't have the right paradigm for how you look at work and how you look at the disappointments in your life, if you don't have the right paradigm, you're not gonna be able to maintain, you're not gonna be able to walk in wholeheartedness for very long. So I wanna show you a very important mindset that you must have. And we're gonna go back to Joseph and the story of Joseph. But we're not, not in Genesis. We're going to go to Psalm 105. Psalm 105 is King David writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about Joseph. And he tells us some things about the background of, the jo- of Joseph's life and the background of Joseph's story that gives us some really important information that we don't get in Genesis. And in this passage, we're going to see a paradigm shift. How you look at work, how you look at your life, how you look at suffering that is essential to you being wholehearted like Joseph so that you're a slave, I'm going to be the best slave I can be. You can make me a prisoner? I'll be the best prisoner you can be. You can't beat a person like that. That's the mindset Joseph had because he was walking with the Lord and the Spirit of God was in him. Here's the mindset that you need. So, Psalm 105, verse 16. When God summoned a famine on the land and broke, a supply, broke the supply of bread, God did it. Not the devil, by the way. Could go a whole rabbit trail there. Verse 17. He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what God had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested Joseph. And I've underlined it there. I've capitalized it. Tested. Tested. Very, very important. Everything that happened to Joseph was a test. Every single thing. The getting betrayed by his brothers. The getting sold into slavery. The getting betrayed again and going into prison as we'll see later in this this series. Everything that happened to Joseph was a test, okay? Hugely important. God was testing Joseph. Testing Joseph for what? Testing him to see if he was ready to fulfill the calling God had for him. See, it's like this. The government won't give you a driver's license unless you first pass a driver's test, thank God, right? Okay? I sometimes wonder if the tests are maybe a little easy, judging by some of the driving you guys exhibit here in the parking lot, but whatever. That's it's not me to judge. Okay? Well, the government's not going to give you a driver's license unless you first pass a test. Why is that? Well, it's safety. I mean, a car is a good thing. A car is a really good thing. I mean, a car will help you carry your groceries home. It keeps you warm in the winter. It takes you from point A to point B. A car is a really good thing, really important. I mean, we couldn't survive really the way our society is now without cars and trucks and vehicles, right? So a car is a good thing. Vehicles are a good thing. But here's the thing about cars. Even though they're good things, um, if they're also big and fast and heavy things which means that even though they're good things and there's all kinds of good you can do with a car but if you use that thing wrong you can also do a lot of damage you can hurt people i mean same with same with guns right i mean uh anybody from grunthal here today will tell you guns are a good thing (laughs) you can shoot cute little furry things so whatever okay Guns are a good thing, but if you want to own a gun, you have to pass a little test. If you want to buy a gun, you have to pass a test. Why? Because, yeah, a gun's a good thing, but they've got to do a test for you for your drivers. They've got to do a test for you if you want to own a gun. Why? Because they've got to make sure you can handle the responsibility. Same with the calling God has for you in your life. Look at Joseph. God, had, God said, Joseph, I, he had huge plans for Joseph's life. I'm going to put you in charge. I'm going to make you a king because I want to rescue, you know, A whole bunch of countries from the famine that's coming I want to save you know millions of people in Egypt and the surrounding countries I want to bring your brothers into Egypt so that I can birth the nation of Israel and have the Messiah Jesus be born to save all of mankind I mean God had huge plans for Joseph but guess what can you imagine what would happen if God would have just taken Joseph and put him right in charge without testing him first I mean, imagine if God hadn't first tested. Imagine if, God, if Joseph was more like a lot of us, and he was filled with bitterness and anger and vengeance. Now you put him in a position of power. Like, he's like the second most powerful man in all the world, second in command in Egypt, okay? And they didn't have checks and balances there. I mean, if you're second in command, you can do a lot of damage. You can kill people if you want to kill them, and nobody's going to ask questions. Imagine God, instead of testing Joseph first to see if there's any bitterness in him or anger or vengeance, imagine God just without testing him, just right into power. What is going to happen the moment Joseph's brothers come looking for food? Like this. Is that good for God's plan or bad? Man, let me tell you the honest truth. I think there's a whole bunch of us that would have done horrible things to our brothers if we had the power and they had done to us what Joseph's brothers done. Isn't that true? Okay, we just don't have the power to do anything to them, so we just talk badly about them. But Joseph actually had power, he was given power to his brothers. Can you imagine if God hadn't tested him first, what he could have done with that kind of responsibility and power? He could erect the whole plan. His brothers were the other eleven tribes of Israel about to be born. I mean, he could erect the whole plan. God said, I can't give you, yes, a car is a good thing. Yes, a car. My plans for you are a good thing, but I can't just put you there without testing you first. And it wasn't just for bitterness and unforgiveness. God tested Joseph for all kinds of things, and we see him in the story, and we'll touch on a bunch of them in the rest of the series. He tests him for sexual purity. He tests him for integrity. He tests him for work ethic, conscientiousness. He tests him for all of that. And Joseph can't fulfill his calling for God until he passed the test, just like you can't get a driver's license until you pass the driver's test. See, a lot of Christians today, they're wondering, ah, God has never used me. They're wondering why. Because they think, does God not have a plan for my life? He has a plan for every person's life. But a lot of us think that the plan's just going to happen. Like, I'm just going to just start driving someday. I'll just have a driver's license pop into my lap. No, you have to pass a test to get your driver's license. And the thing is, if you don't pass the test that God has put in your life, you will never come into the calling that he has for you. Because he can't trust you you have all kinds of pride, self-centeredness, your own ideas, all kinds of bitterness, unforgiveness, and all of those things will come to the surface the moment you have some success or you begin to fulfill that calling and you will hurt people. And God says, "Ah, I'm going to test you first. You don't pass the test, you don't enter into your calling. So God tested Joseph. Hugely, hugely important. And this is really good news, okay? Really, really good news because it means that everything that happens to you has significance. Everything, everything in your life right now is a test, everything for good and bad. Your job, the people you work with, the person you're married to, your kids, your health. Everything in your life right now is a test. When your eyes open up to that, there's a whole paradigm shift in your mind of what's going on. No longer is it, oh, I can't stand this thing. You start to see God's testing me. And if you don't pass this test, if you don't show the character, the wholeheartedness, the integrity, the purity, the joy, the forgiveness that, that God wants to see in you and wants to bring into you, you can't enter into the things that God has for you. Everything has significance because God's watching everything and it's all a test. See, significance doesn't come, I'm going to put this up on PowerPoint too, something for you to take home. Significance doesn't so much come from what you do but how you do what you do and who you do it for. Everything's a test. Everything's a test. Your minimum wage part-time summer job while you're at school is a test. Are you gonna be faithful in that little thing? Because guess what? If you're not faithful in little things, you'll never be faithful in big things. That's what the Bible teaches. If you're not faithful in little, you'll be faithful in big. If you're not faithful in a struggle and a disappointment, You won't be faithful with success because let me tell you something, success is a lot more dangerous spiritually than struggle. If you're not faithful in the struggle, if you get bitter and you give up and you quit in the struggle, you can't be trusted with success. So everything in your life is a test. Everything in Joseph's life was a test. And only those who are faithful in little can be trusted in much. I want to finish this message now with Luke chapter chapter 19 and a chunk of Jesus famous parable because this is not just in the Joseph story this is the whole Bible but the Joseph story illustrates it Joseph's a slave I'm gonna be the best slave I can be Joseph, I'm gonna put you in prison I'll be the best prisoner you can I can be you know that kind of a person God is just looking at Joseph and he's going oh I can't help but use this guy right I mean he's just gonna be wholehearted everywhere he goes I have got to give this guy some serious kingdom responsibility and so Joseph is the example for this, but the New Testament, the teaching is everywhere in Jesus' parables and Paul's speaking. And, but now I've, that I've shown you the Joseph story, you have a bit of understanding of what this looks like. So let me read you now with Joseph in the back of your mind. Let's read the parable of the faithful servants. Jesus said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Verse 13, calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. Okay, So each ten servants, ten minas, they're each going to get one mina. The point, the whole point of this is a mina is not very much money. Scholars can't agree uh, exactly how much money this is. Some, would, some say a mina is like basically equivalent to about 20 bucks. Others say it's equivalent to, you know, a couple months salary with uh, some of the average worker in that day. Uh, whatever the case, the point in this parable is that it's not much. It's just a very little bit. That's, that's the point. Any noble person or wealthy person, business person, religious leader in Jesus' time who would have been hearing this parable or reading this parable or whatever, they would have scoffed at that amount of money. They would have said, that's like no responsibility at all. Like, that's meaningless. Why, what, what, what are you going to do with a mina? Okay? That's the point in the parable. The mina is just a little amount of money. The king goes away, and he doesn't give his servants huge important responsibilities. He has just a little. Just a little. And he says to them, engage in business with this tiny amount of money until I come. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered those servants to whom he had given the money to be called him, to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten more, ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. There's the, fa- the, the famous line. Some of the translations have good and faithful. That's the way I always remember it. Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. I love that line. Because you've been faithful in a very little, you have authority over ten cities. And a second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. You know what I love about that line? Because you've been faithful in a little. Put you over ten cities. You know what I love about that line? You don't have to do great things for Jesus. You just have to be faithful in the little things he's given you. That's it. Lots of people, are, they, they feel bad about their lives. They're, they're always comparing themselves to someone else. I've got to do as much ministry as so-and-so. I haven't done as much ministry as so-and-so. I haven't had a, as much an impact in my life. I haven't made as much money or given away as much money. I haven't as made as much of a legacy in my life as so-and-so. And they're always comparing themselves to so-and-so, and they feel down. And many of us here today, that's how we feel. I've not made something big out of my life. I'm not as big as so-and-so for God or whatever. Not as spiritual, all that sort of stuff. You know, guess what? Jesus doesn't expect you to do anything more than just be faithful with what he's given you. He doesn't expect you to do 10 minas worth or 100 minas worth of ministry if he's given you one mina. All he expects is, I give you one mina, you take that little mina, and with that little thing I give you, you just be faithful there. Joseph, I give you slavery, Joseph says, I'll be faithful in slavery. Joseph, I give you prison, I'll be faithful in prison. He gives you whatever it is, you're a mom. I gave you a couple of kids. Be faithful in there. I gave you a job. It's not a really important job. It's not a high-paying job. You get up every day and be wholehearted there. All he expects is not more than what he gave you. He expects only one thing. Be faithful with the little he has given you. That's it. On judgment day, he will not judge you saying you didn't lead a thousand people to Christ. You didn't start a massive ministry and live all by faith like somebody else did. You didn't give a million dollars. That is not judgment day. Judgment day is I gave you one mina. What did you do with one mina? Because you have been faithful in a very little, I will put you over 10 cities. Every time you are faithful in little God gives you, he always responds by giving more. Okay? We see it with Joseph. Again, I just said it before. Joseph oh, I'll be the best slave this world has ever seen. I'll be the best prisoner this world has ever seen. God's going, my goodness, that is king material. He makes him king. Now, the passage does not promise that if you're faithful in little things in this world, you'll have big responsibility in this lifetime. That did happen to Joseph. That does happen to lots of people, that they experience it already in this lifetime. But some people go through their entire lives, and they're all, all they ever are is unnoticed. They never do a great thing. They're just faithful in little things their entire lives right to the end and nobody notices them. Their reward, their 10 cities comes in the next one. Cuz Jesus said, the first some of those who are first here will be last in heaven and some of those who are last here everybody thought they were nothing, but actually they were faithful in the nothing they had. Those are the ones who will be first there. They will be the great leaders. They will be the great kings and queens. They will be the princes and princesses. They'll be the successful business people. They will be the ones over much in the next lifetime because they were faithful in the little here. Here is what I know. I don't know if it will happen to you in this lifetime or the next one, but if you are faithful in the little now, it is a guarantee that God will put you over much. From one mina to ten cities. Whether in this life or the next. But Jesus isn't expecting out of you more than what he's given you. So let me leave you with one challenge for the week. Because it's not my preaching that's going to, and then the worst is going to come up and lead us in one final song here. But it's not the preaching that changes you. And you can go out of here and you can have this truth in your mind, but if you don't take it deep, it, it does nothing. Luke, I, my challenge to you today is to meditate on this parable of Jesus, keeping the Joseph story in mind. Keeping the Joseph story in mind. That's what faithfulness looks like. Be wholehearted in whatever God's given you. Serve your Potiphar to the best of your ability. Serve your jailer to the best of your ability, okay? But here's my challenge. Luke 19, 11 to 27 is Jesus' parable of the faithful servant. Take at least one day, take two days this week in your devotions and read that parable and meditate on it and ask the Lord to speak to you about faithfulness in your life. See, this is where, see, my message today, okay, okay, we got through a message, good service, we go home, whatever. But unless you spend some time with God, and the Spirit speaks to you about what he's saying in his word, then you have nothing. Jesus said, not blessed are you now because you know what to do. He said blessed to his disciples after the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you if you do them. You take these truths now home and with the Spirit, because you can't, you can't fake them on your own. You, you go to the Spirit and you say, I want to be a faithful person. Speak to me about faithfulness. And you begin to strive by the Spirit's power to be a faithful person servant. Jesus, the the desire of our hearts here today is to one day, the desire of my heart, and for LaDawn, my wife, and my kids, Joy, and Charlie, and Eden, and for everybody here in this church that's here that heard this message today, Jesus, my desire, one day we're all going to stand before you. No exceptions. Zero exceptions. Every one of us here has an appointment with you someday, and you're not going to ask us How big a ministry did we do compared to someone else? You are not going to ask us that. You're going to ask us only one thing. What did you do with what I gave you? And Jesus, my prayer is that everyone here and myself and my wife and my kids, Jesus, I want to hear one thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a little. And now I will give you more. Jesus, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would take that deep into our hearts and show us what it means to be faithful. In your name I pray, amen.